Williams. Why isn't it recording? Okay, now it's recording. Author of my favorite book, Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect, which will be available in the description and sticking in the top comment. Before this, I had on, I had on a, a professional audiobook narrator, Noah Michael Levine, because I had reached out trying to get an author of some uh, a guy that wrote a book about like burning toxic chemicals in the Iraq War. Point being is I looked at the cover of the, the book on Audible and I emailed the author, which is just what I do, and I accidentally emailed the narrator. And this was like three weeks ago. And he was like, hey, glad you liked the book. I didn't write it. And I was like, oh, fuck. And we got talking and I was like, and he, and he was like, do you want to have a narrator on your podcast? I was like, fucking right, I do. <laughs> so I just had him on. And, oh, I got to see this. Yeah, and I'm putting you in touch with him so you can put your goddamn book up. So you can put metamorphosis of prime <laughs> intellect to get, because you know what I just know, and I and I actually talked about it. I was like, there are a lot of books that I want on Audible that are not on Audible. So he told me to uh, pass his email along to you, and uh, yeah, no excuses, Roger. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I, I, I I will be in touch then. I guess. Fucking right. How you doing, my man? Yeah. <laughs> Long yeah, weekend. well, I mean, it's 2020. What the hell? It's you 20... know, um... <laughs> We're inching towards the end. We're inching towards it. Are we going to get I, out of it? I wanted to say, you uh, you know, we, uh, we had talked about today's topic, and you sent me a few texts about uh, certain no. actors who might not want to be actors, mentioned. And, actresses. And, and I totally understand that. It's People, I, uh, people places, things. Yes. Uh, no, I actually still work in these industries. You know, uh, when, when I talk about this, uh, I'm not here to trash these industries. Sure. They are necessary. This is uh, it's more that because we live in a democracy, I think it is important for us to understand on an individual basis the things that are done on our behalf. Yeah. Because if we don't, then we will make bad decisions. Yeah. And so for everyone listening, the topic we decided on was uh, the food industry, or rather food preparation, and and yeah, we started chatting about it. Yes. And, but we are actually yeah. just industry in general. I yeah. wrote yeah, yeah, I yeah. wrote I wrote two articles for Corrosion back in the day. Uh, one called Plant, which was actually about chemical plants. And the other food plant, which was about, duh, okay. And uh, my observation, I was like, I have worked at these facilities for nearly 40 years as a contractor. uh, And these were my observations of what it is like to live and work and in these environments. So... It's not a condemnation to say, you know, I observed there was some dangerous shit going on or there is some weird social shit going on. It's more that um, this is going on, you know. Yeah. So, So anyway, to start, let us talk about chemical plants. There are a lot of chemical plants in Louisiana. 
real close to me. A lot of them. Okay. And I've done work in a lot of them. So the thing about a chemical plant is most of them are open air. So all of the shit that does the magic is out in the weather. It gets rained on because it's way too big to put in a building. And, you know, we have hundreds of plants like this here. So you, you've got what they call the racks that look like uh, the Jolly Green Giant got some erector set parts and built stuff okay. up. You know, so there's like levels, 20 feet, 20 feet, 20 feet. Uh, and those levels, they don't have actual floors that you would recognize. It's like there are these uh, grid things of steel that you, you look down and they're, you know, it's like you can see right through them to the ground, 200 feet below if that's where you are. And uh, they have tanks and reactors and all this piping. It's like a three-dimensional structure that basically the engineers designed to do the chemical reactant stuff to create the plant's product. Um, And when someone like me shows up at this place, it's to work on a particular machine. We don't know what the fuck it does or, you know, what, what purpose it serves or anything. It's more like, um, yeah, I'm here to work on the scale, you know, uh, 1947A. Oh, yeah, that's a level five. Now, this is something I don't actually do this anymore. This is something I did when I was younger stronger and stupider um but uh so you get on this elevator that has actually no protective mechanisms at all that you would expect you know, it's like you know so it's this open frame thing where the walls are going by as as you go up and down and you get there, and it's like you're 200 feet off the ground. And you're troubleshooting this thing, doing your thing, right? Yeah, okay. Um, but meanwhile, there's this whole plant. What is it with the plant? Um, there's a thing that happens in Louisiana often where a company comes in and says we're thinking of spending a billion dollars building a plant in your state would lock some consolidate you know uh, some uh, conciliatory things and so they give them tax write-offs yeah. and yeah. benefits for the land and stuff like this and all and then it ends up that this billion dollar plant now a billion dollars is not a lot of money for a chemical plant All right, I'm going to get to that later in the talk but so they spend a billion dollars building this plant and it creates like 
a hundred jobs. Yeah. And 30 of those are from out of state because they're very highly skilled jobs. Yeah. And so they bring people in instead of them being from locals. Yeah. And this happens all the time. This is, this is like, okay. This thing about a chemical plant. Now, I'm going to talk about two kinds of plants today, as I mentioned in the, in the email. Chemical plants are a special kind of thing, and food plants. These are two types of plants that I've done a, a lot of work in. And uh, back in the day when corrosion was a thing, I wrote two articles, plant, which is about chemical plants, and food plant. Uh, and uh, one of the things is like if you are familiar with manufacturing which you might be more familiar with being up north we don't have a lot of manufacturing in the south Mm -hmm. so that's yet another kind of animal and it's kind of in between but what I'm familiar with is chemical plants lots of them and food plants lots of them so so the chemical plant takes in raw materials generally stuff of the earth or petroleum and reacts it and messes with it in various ways that almost always involve high temperatures and high pressures in order to create new shit Um, now you are deep in euphemism zone when you hear the phrase uncontrolled energy release because that's what they say when you're taking the safety training and you're talking about it and and all of the things that can go wrong and yes an uncontrolled energy release is a bad thing okay it means that somebody fucked up somewhere but and they will defend that phrase to the teeth because it is more inclusive and it, it it's more descriptive than some uh low level phrase like well you know or some of us would just say it sounds a lot better than explosion, explosion. yeah yeah right it's like elon musk says it didn't crash it was a rap it was a it was a rapid. Li- yeah, sorry. it was a rapid, uh, uh, rapid Unske- uh, unassembly. Disassembly. Yeah, rapid unscheduled disassembly. Yeah, actually, Musk stole that from uh, the Culture series books. Unplanned ener- <laughs> unplanned energy release. Yes, unplanned. Uh, okay. uh, yeah, uncontrolled energy release. Uncontrolled energy. Okay. So, yes. So, uh, well, and the problem is that in these facilities, you have a lot of uh, tanks and pipelines that contain things that are toxic, that are under tremendous pressure, and that, uh, well, actually, those two things pretty much cover it all. If it's toxic, it's under big pressure. Uh, And they're brought together in these reactors under even bigger pressure and more, you know, reactions. So uh, 
there are actually two types of plants. There, there are uh, what you know. The the vast majority of them do what they what we call batch processes. So they have a bunch of staging areas, which have the raw materials, and when they're ready, they bring them into the reactor, start everything going, eat them up, and everybody sits back watches the gauges and prepares to run for their lives. I'm not kidding about that. Well, in some plants they do, but in some plants they do. Um, Is there like a blast wall? hmm? Is there, so prepare to run. So is there like a, like a blast wall or something, or is it like leave the premises of the building? It depends on the plant. Uh, Now, uh, most plants, modern plants, have actually the control room is a bunker yeah it's it's a concrete building with with solid walls and all this shit but i have been in plants where the control room was a tin shack on the second row of the racks Uh, fuck that 20 feet above ground fuck that okay peace (laughs) (laughs) well funny you should mention that now uh a couple of my co-workers i wasn't there for this but it's one of the funniest stories that i've ever heard is okay so they're in this place and they're working behind the console you know behind all the controls so there's you know the place where the guys sit there's a control thing mm-hmm. and then our guys are working behind the control thing on the wiring and shit and what happens is there's uh, these stainless steel containers that are designed to be carried by forklifts. They're four feet square, six feet high. The container itself is stupidly, fantastically expensive. But because they're made of stainless steel, they're also shiny. And the forklift operator mishandled one of them and it fell and it caught the sun as it was falling and shone it into the control room oh Jesus and then made this crashing fucking enormous noise as it hit the ground so they thought it was a uncontrolled energy release so our guys come out and it's like there's no one in the room they're like, what the fuck? Where is everybody? No, the plant people had run for their lives. Jeez, yeah, that's right. They thought it, they thought yeah. everything was blowing up. They, they didn't know what the fuck was happening. They ran for their lives, and our guys, you know, popped up like, you know, it's like what? Yeah, uh-huh. glinting light, big noise. Yeah, you, you know, that's like the begin. That's the first pulse of light from the from the explosion that will now envelop the city. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so you didn't, and and the thing is, you know, because we've been there. There was uh, in the 1980s a catalytic cracker at an oil refinery, Norco, exploded, and I was in Grand Isle, and I heard it forty miles away. It blew out windows twenty miles away. Jeez. It blew out windows in New Orleans. Jesus. It destroyed structures around the plant in Norco. 
I mean, it just flattens them. And uh, because this is a bit, this, this this is a structure. It's like sixteen feet diameter and thirty feet high, and it's operating at like two thousand pounds per square inch pressure to to separate the oil components into their basic structures. I've had actually I've actually talked to people who said the first time when they when they first powered it up, everyone ran for it's like for the corners and it was just like they didn't know it would actually work <laughs> but it did it ran for years and years and years yeah. and uh but what they didn't know was that uh even though they inspected it regularly there was one place where the piping did a loop that the cameras of the day couldn't reach because of the day it was viticons you know we're talking about in the 80s and they sort of assumed that, well, if everything else is cool, then this must be okay, too. And what they found out after the thing exploded was that there was a vortex that was set up in that little loop of pipe that caused it to corrode faster okay. than the rest of it. And so one day the thing blew up and took seven people's lives. Jesus. My people were scheduled to be in the plant five hours after the explosion occurred to, to inspect their truck scale and do an, uh, a quarterly uh, thing. So these things are dangerous. The, there's toxic chemicals. They're under tremendous pressure. They are uh, being staged. And in a lot of cases, uh, even though they will all swear on a stack of Bibles that they are safety, 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 the thing is they are also get it done, get it done, get it done, Mm -hmm. get it done. Mm -hmm. And so you've got – they've brought in, you know – to me, there is nothing more terrifying than a rail yard full of rail cars full of chlorine gas. Fuck that. In there. Fuck that. Okay. That is like terrifying. Um, yeah. How much of that shit is? That's what I always think about. Is how much of that shit is just is just like right over the hill, and you just you're just blissfully unaware. Well, this is why we're having this discussion is to <laughs> let you know that um, maybe more than you think. Um, so a typical chemical plant, you've got these inputs, mm-hmm. raw materials, some of which are harmless, some of which are not so harmless, and they're brought in in trucks on rail lines and generally staged uh, the the whole just in time thing that has uh, taken over manufacturing hasn't really reached the chemical end of it because it's so fucking dangerous so it's more like we want to get this stuff safed so that we can let the rail cars go on their way, let the truck go on its way. Um, 
the 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 amount of insurance they'd have to pay out probably negates any gains they would get doing just in time, right? That's one of the things. Yes. Um, so anyway, they take their their raw their inputs. They pump them into reactors with high pressure, with high temperatures, steam, whatever else it takes to make something new. And in a lot of cases, those go into more holding tanks because they're intermediate products. This is why these things are like, you know, 40 acres. Mm -hmm. You've got uh, a whole slew of processes going on. Uh, One of the places that I work at regularly makes a shitload of ammonia and sulfuric acid. Now, they make these. These are intermediate products that they then ship to other facilities that need ammonia or sulfuric acid. But the reason they're making this shit is that they're also precursor products for the thing they're really making, which is the plastic that your countertop is made of. But all the all the component pieces are this like hyper toxic shit. Yes. And you know, and, and stored under high pressure and all this. Um another well, okay. Let's do the black and white, okay? Everything in your life that is black, your tires on your car, for example, are that color because of carbon black. Yeah. That is the pigment that makes things black. Nothing is blacker than carbon black. And carbon black is an extremely fine powder that gets into everything. Now, on one occasion, I was stuck in a carbon black plant for two days installing a machine. And when I got home, I looked like I was in blackface. I got into the bathtub. I got into the bathtub after running a bath, and within five seconds of hitting the water, the water was opaque. Jesus Christ. Just from carbon black coming out of my pores, I turned eight bathtubs of water opaque black before it stopped happening this is to be this is your superhero background story (laughs) this is your moment (laughs) oh i'm just getting started (laughs) so 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 this is yeah yeah to install one fucking check wear it's like i turned 10 bathtubs full of water black with the the carbon black that was in my pores. Now the the people who work there all the time have all this PPE. They just like they cover themselves up with all this stuff. And you're looking at this as a contractor and going, "Is this really?" It's, and no, actually, it is necessary. It's, yeah. It would you know, be a good idea. Okay, so and the other thing about car- carbon black though is what's really nasty about it from my standpoint as the guy who's trying to make your equipment keep working is it conducts electricity so it's really not a good thing for it to get onto circuit boards 
and into electronics. Carbon black can, can conduct electricity? Yes. I don't know why in my mind I thought it was like chalk powder. No, carbon is like carbon, carbon, you know, it's like the carbon rod in a battery. Okay. 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 <laughs> okay. Yeah. Carbon conducts electricity. So. Mr. Science Major right here. <laughs> so it gets into this shit and shorts things out. Yeah. And causes all kinds of problems. But then we go to the other end of the spectrum. Let's talk about titanium oxide. Oh fuck. That's in is that that's in paint, right? Is it? It's what makes things white. Yeah. It is the whitest chemical known to science. It's DuPont, right? I'm not mentioning company names here. It's Poudant. <laughs> so <laughs> titanium oxide is the stuff that makes wedding cake icing white it is so inert that it is a food additive because while it's not a nutrient it doesn't poison you it just passes through your system and it's completely inert unlike carbon black carbon black can fuck your shit up because it gets into your lungs it never goes away it causes black lung titanium oxide isn't like that your body can actually take titanium oxide apart over time and so it, it, it doesn't have these long-term health effects it's, it's considered much safer and so it's a food additive it's in paint it's in anything in life that is white roger your racist undertones are disgusting i know <laughs> you are just, just praising titanium oxide and saying that carbon black is disgusting i just dog whistle all right i'm gonna call you out but okay. well it's the thing is <laughs> All right, how do you make titanium oxide? Yeah, yeah. And this is this is one of the things I say. I'm anonymizing my sources. Sure. I'm not talking about anybody. That's my bad. But Sorry. if someone has uh, some inside info, they're going to figure out real quick who I'm talking about. Well, I just know right. that they're famous for that paint. All right. So in order to make titanium oxide, this infamously benign, completely inert, harmless thing. When you start with the ore, you have to start by turning it into titanium chloride, which has the chemical symbol TiCl. Ti for titanium, Cl for chloride. And then they can reduce that to the what they call tickle Just, <laughs> to, to titanium oxide in another reaction. So the plant that makes titanium oxide, and it makes a shitload of titanium oxide. Titanium oxide is a big fucking product. They make a lot of it. Okay. But in order to make it, they have to make a lot of the intermediate product, mm -hmm. Tickle. And Tickle has this annoying property that when it comes into contact with water, it turns into hydrochloric acid. <laughs> just a little, just the fine print. Just that little, hold on, turn off the thing. <laughs> just a little fine print. Don't look too into it. It just turns into, ah, you know, we all have our... 
we all have the little things about us. Some of us yeah. talk too much. Some of us have bad breath. Kind of so, like phosgene, except it's instead of being a gas, it's a fine powder that easily becomes airborne. And so, to you know, when you take the site-specific safety shit, they tell you, okay, you can't, if you get this powder on you, you can't just wash it off with water because it will turn into acid. So they have special towels all through the plant that that are embedded with uh something i don't even know what it is that neutralizes the tickle so you can use them to wash yourself off if you get the tickle on you and we had a guy who almost didn't get in the plant because every time in the orientation they said the words tickle towel he fell out laughing your tickle towel <laughs> The tickle towel. Yes, you have to find the tickle towel station. <laughs> yeah, it sounds, that sounds like a South Park thing. Did you get your but, Did you get your tickle towel? But it's deadly yeah. serious. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so this is the you know, and and this is to make the shit that they use to make wedding gates white. It's this, yeah. Uh, it's uh, so so it's like it's it's not that i'm not here to trash sure. any of these industries this is all shit we use they, yeah yeah they, they're all important they're yeah. shit we use they, they that we need there would not be 10 billion people on the earth not all starving to death if we didn't have all these industries creating the things that we need but since we live in a democracy i think it's also important to understand where our shit comes from mm -hmm. so that when we are asked to make a decision like should we actually like have this thing uh like in biloxi that that we can make an informed decision sure um and you you know it's like in in your text you mentioned that you know some insiders who have particular contacts and some mm -hmm. industries i'm very interested in what they think of this talk sure if they think that i went too far it's like what well, you know, um uh, because i'm trying to be fair no you're being no you're this. right now right now you're fine yeah. um you know uh it's, it's like i ha i have been doing this for 35 years sure and uh working in these industries and some of the shit that i've seen is horrifying but a lot of it is also necessary. Yeah. I mean, a lot of this so, shit, yeah, it's, we have to have it. Yeah. So it's – all right. Uh, I don't like what's happening in some ways, but on the other hand, I want to eat the cheap chicken. So yeah. I mean, this is – I mean, I hate yeah, – like, I mean, like, come on. It's like, it's like, dude, I think Foxconn is as bad as anyone. But, I mean, am I willing to take my $800 iPhone and pay 8000 No. Am I going to look the other way? Probably. And so are you, the listener, who's wearing AirPods right now. Mm -hmm. And you know what? None of us are holier than thou. Because we're not We're not against it. We can say we are, but we're not. No. And uh, so anyway, that's the thing. Is that, yeah, part, of, part of it is that in, in these industries, there are these insanely dangerous things. Uh, like I said, you are in truly, you are truly in euphemism land when you hear the words uncontrolled energy release um 
but on the other hand, uh, you are in, when you hear those words, you are probably about to enter that plant and they really don't want you to die because it is a real freaking paperwork nightmare for them if you do. It's a real pain in the ass. It is. Um, now, there is a plant upriver. I'm not going to get more specific. But for a while, they well, they had an, uh, one of their other plants had an accident. And they rewrote their rules for doing electrical work. And the rewritten rules were so strict that in order to change an incandescent light bulb, you had to wear a flash suit and have a second standing by with a fire extinguisher. A, what, a flash suit? Yeah. What's that? Uh, basically a bunny suit that is flame retardant and uh, electrically inert. Okay. So, so, yeah, you had to be decked out in this head-to-toe rubber suit with another guy standing by with a with a, a fire <laughs> extinguisher to change an incandescent light bulb like the one up there okay. the, again that just and, sounds like south park and, shit all right we're ready <laughs> it kind of was yeah. and and they uh they kept that up for about two years yeah and before they finally came up with a rationale to back it down uh so it's there's a constant tension in these places because you can't get away from the fundamental fact that what they are doing is fucking dangerous yeah yeah and they don't want the embarrassment of a bhopal type scenario happening if they can avoid it so whenever the possibility of something like that arises then they get really fucking paranoid and crank everything down to nine levels Uh, but on the other hand that's also expensive because they're paying us labor to get in the bunny suit have a second guy there with the fire extinguisher and all this stuff to make a minor adjust adjustment in their truck scale, which was a thing that, that was going on there for a while. So, but on the other hand, on the other, 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 other hand, you know, it's like I've met people who were hosed down with da- with toxic chemicals. They were in the wrong place when the pipeline burst. Mm-hmm. Their valve failed. And, you know, uh, I've been in one plant where they would not let a woman in if there was any possibility that she might be pregnant because yeah. Yeah. the chemical that they were handling there in huge quantities was a an extremely dangerous teratogen. Yeah. And, you know, and so they were like, if there is any possibility at all that you might be pregnant, you cannot come in the plant. 
And, and, and what, it is like what's the word? Is it teratogen? Teratogen. Teratogen. Okay, and that causes birth defects. Yes, it makes monsters. Okay, I didn't. I've, that is that's okay. the root of the word. No, I know. I, makes, I just learned. I learned a new word. Yeah, I just yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was. Uh, yeah, uh, it, it yeah causes like, enormous like birth defects. Carcinogenic. Yeah, yeah. Teratogen. Okay. And uh, yeah, so um, you never know quite what you're getting into. And for me, it's like uh, it was especially it was a little different because if you work at one of these places, then you get drilled. You know exactly what the hazards are. Like one of the places where I occasionally do work, they make enormous quantities of sulfuric acid and uh hydrochloric no uh ammonia ammonia yes uh and though because those are precursor products to the thing they're really making which is the plastic that your countertop is made of i'm not going to say exactly which plastic it is because that would identify the plant okay but uh but they make way more of the acid ammonia than they need because those are important precursor chemicals you can't for slow down other the, plants. Yeah, yeah, you can't slow down the you don't want to lose a single ounce of product by having not enough reactant. Yeah, well, and also they sell those yeah. to other plants that need them, you know, that, sure. that, that can't make their own ammonia, they can't make their own sulfuric acid but they buy them from this other plant 10 miles down the road, you know, it's like, in fact, in a lot of cases, they have a pipeline. It's, it's, it's like, they're not even putting it on trucks. They just, just like, they have it. a pipeline from one plant to the other an and they, they have a valve. Just an IV yep. drip. Yeah. So, uh, so this is how things happen in, in this industry, uh, particularly along the Mississippi river and a lot, because a lot of these, places located here because of the river because they have a lot of water if they need it if they need a lot of water which sometimes they do if they need it for cooling uh or if they need to dump shit in it then it's there so we've got you know this whole petrochemical corridor up the mississippi river uh from below new orleans to well above baton rouge um, and these places, a lot of them are interdependent. So this is just how it is. But the other interesting thing uh, that I wanted to mention about chemical plants, yes, they're stupidly dangerous uh, if you don't do everything right. But they also don't create a lot of jobs because you'll see this news item. Big Chemical Company Incorporated is going to build a billion-dollar chemical plant uh, in St. James Parish. A billion dollars. A billion-dollar plant. Imagine the investment in our state. The future is now. Yeah, so, and we are, of course, because they're going to spend a billion dollars, give them all types of cash, you know, <laughs> tax concessions, and... This and that and all kinds of shit yeah. that uh, they don't really. Did we mention but, it's a billion dollars? 
Yes. Did we mention it's a billion dollars? With a and <laughs> when the sun sets and the dust fades, it turns out that it created a hundred jobs. But a billion. <laughs> For a billion dollar plant. Because chemical plants are very highly automated. Yeah. So you go into one of these plants, there will be two, maybe three operators actually running the plates, you know, the, the processes. Yeah, not the office. Now, office versus plant is a distinction everywhere. Mm-hmm. Office is not the same as production. But in, in the production area, you might have two or three operators. The only reason you have more than one is so they can check each other's work and kind of tap each other and make sure they stay awake and shit. And you might have five or six maintenance guys whose job it is to check on shit when it don't go right. And that's it. So you've got a billion dollar plant. You've got during the daytime, maybe 10 people working there. You count all the shifts and everything. You've got maybe a hundred employees total. That was what you gave up all this land and the tax concessions and everything for. And that's happened over and over again. And, yeah. You know, it's like, welcome to Louisiana. Yeah. That's okay. So, and not to say it's even, well, here's actually, my personal experience is probably that we should be asking more from them. Mm-hmm. But who am I? I'm just, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, it's. It's definitely always easy for you and I to to take this this arm. You know, myself definitely to take this armchair view of this is what we should have and this is what. But you know, I don't know jack shit about raising money to lay down the investment on an industrial plant, and like I don't. Dude, I, I string together a podcast where most episodes are just me yelling like a psycho. <laughs> I just so happen to have a MacBook and a nice microphone. Shout out, Mitch Purdue. As opposed to a soapbox on a Manhattan corner with shit going down my leg because I haven't had a home in mm-hmm. a year. I just have a screen and I – but, you know, it's – yeah, it's probably a lot. But because we can be brats about it, fuck it. Let's let's sit in our armchairs and, and dictate how the world should be, right? Uh, well, one of us has actually been in a lot of plants. So, <laughs> one of the things that I mentioned in the original plant article is that everything in an industrial plant is fabulously expensive. Yeah. In, you know, a plant is an entire city made up of fabulously expensive industrial crap. And so, I have a little show and tell. Fuck yeah. What makes fabulously expensive industrial crap fabulously expensive? So, this here is a solenoid. Okay. Okay. This is not industrial crap. This is consumer grade crap. Uh, This is a coil that pulls the plunger in when you electricity on the contacts Mm -hmm. and this thing brand new costs a couple of dollars 
something very similar to this is what unlocks your door when you enter the proper code in. Okay. Uh, used to be what unlocked your car, but they've gone to a slightly different technology for that lately. Um, the thing about solenoids, first of all, this is this is what's called an open frame design. You see, it's, this is a bent piece of sheet metal. Okay? And the mechanism is open to the environment, mm-hmm. to the, the atmosphere. So shit can get into this thing. Sure. Okay? That's not optimal in a bad environment where you have a lot of contaminants, corrosive shit, and all that. But it's it's fine for opening your door in an office building or the door of your car or whatever. So what do you do if that's not good enough? Okay. Well, in plants, this is what you do. Okay. This is a pneumatic cylinder. Okay. And you put air in one end or the other. This is what's called a dual acting cylinder. It can push and pull. And the nice thing about these is that the force that it presents is constant. No matter where the plunger is. Okay, so it's not not okay. Okay. Yeah. As a, as opposed to the solenoid where the force when it's out here is relatively weak compared, compared to, to once it, you know down here yeah. it's relatively strong. Okay. If you want to be sure of exerting the force and you know what force you use, then you use one of these. The problem with this, well, there's several problems with it. First of all, this cylinder is worth about forty dollars okay. as a new item. It's it's made of stainless steel which is necessary because this is probably out in the problem area of your plant where there's all kinds of water and corrosive shit and stuff. Um, and, and this cylinder is actually not all that much more capable than the solenoid that I showed you. It's just an air cylinder, but you also need air. Now, in an industrial facility, you will almost always have plant air. There will be an, you know, there will be any ginormous air compressor and a network yeah. of plumbing feeding compressed okay. air, just like we have electricity like, like in our central, houses. Central plumbing or something. Yeah, like just with in, air. In, in in a plant, you'll have plant air. You'll okay. have compressed air okay. everywhere. But, well. How do you control this, though? Because a microprocessor can't blow into this thing. Yeah. So that's where this comes in. This is an air valve. In fact, this air valve was specifically designed to control cylinders just like the one that I just showed you. And you see all these ports here. the way that this thing works is that when it's not energized, the cylinder gets air at one end and is evacuated at the other. Okay. But when the solenoid is energized, it reverses the solenoid. So, so the cylinder gets 
air pressure at this end and is evacuated at this end. Okay. These things are extremely common in industry. The thing that that one right there. Yes. Well, well, like this. This is a whole family uh, of things like this. This valve is an extremely small-scale example of its family. And uh, if it was new in a box with a factory warranty, it would cost over $100. Okay. The reason I have it is I bought it surplus. Okay. That's going to be a recurring theme for the next few minutes. Um, So that's a whole way of doing things that simply isn't available to normal people because you don't have an air compressor in your house. Yeah. Um, Now, the open frame design that I mentioned, the solenoid, gets a little more complex. This is a little more complex example of it. You can see that this is uh, an example. There's a pancake motor here. And there's a whole shitload of gears. This is an example of a very slow uh, gearhead gearhead motor. Um, you know, seal coil here that's mm-hmm. part of the pancake motor mechanism. But of course, this is all open to the environment. Now, uh, this is a little heavier than what I would normally see in uh, consumer crap. This is the the open, you know, the, the metal here is very heavy gauge. I suspect this actually came out of a retail display, okay. um, which is kind of intermediate because it's a little more durable than consumer crap, but it also is expected to run for a, a, at least a, a year or so without failing too bad. Yeah. Um, now... You're wondering, what about the other side? Let's look at relays. This is a relay. Okay. Now, what this thing does is you put power, low low current power on a couple of pins here. And there's an armature that closes a contact it can control much bigger power. Okay. This is 10 amp relay. It's what it's rated for. So this one is a little unusual. It's got these terminals on the top. But the important thing is that these are circuit board terminals. This thing is meant to be mounted on a circuit board. You will never see anything like this in industry. Because if this fails, and because it has moving parts, it will fail, Mm -hmm. then you have to replace the entire circuit board it's mounted on. Yeah. Nobody does component level anymore. Okay. Uh, In a similar vein, this is an automotive relay. Very similar characteristics to the one that I just showed you, except that... It's got a 12-volt coil, and it's actually meant to be used in an automobile. Okay. And again, 
if this thing fails, the entire circuit board that it's mounted on is toast, has to be replaced as an assembly. Does that one have moving parts? Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Inside this, there, there is just like okay. actually, I'll I can show you what it looks like because as we get into industrial, this is an industrial relay. Fuck. Now, the first thing you might notice about this, other than the fact that it's big, is that it's socketed. So that when this fails, you can replace it. And if you look at this closely, you can actually see there is a coil mm-hmm. and a set of contacts in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of looks because, like the vacuum tubes you showed me several episodes ago. Yeah, actually, and yeah, oh, and it's very similar because here's another one, and the this. The, yeah. This socket is, in fact, exactly the same yeah. as the octal socket from the vacuum tubes. Yeah. So uh, this is a technology that went on. Uh, but in industry, this is what you find. This is very expensive. Yeah. This relay, as a new item, costs about $20. Okay. And uh, the socket is uh, actually not much cheaper than that. Now, this, very similar, is a time delay relay. Now, the way that I got a hold of these things that I'm just showing you here is I intercepted them on the way to the dumpster. Okay. Um, I thought it was going to sound a lot more criminal. Like, no, we uh, well, um, it depends on the plant where you're working, how criminal it is. Because in some of them, it's actually you're not supposed to do that. But I was given permission okay. in this case. This was about 25 years ago okay. uh, that I took these things out of service. Okay. Uh, so this is a time delay relay, which you energize it, and it doesn't come on immediately. It waits for a period that you can adjust here before it comes on. And these are used to control industrial processes. And this device is, would be about $80. Okay. So we're inching up. Yeah. As a new item. Roger, I got to, I got to (laughs) piss. Roger, will you monologue for 30 seconds? I knew that was coming. Hey, hey, you know what? Roger Roger and I are like an old married couple. We get to one hour. <laughs> we get to one hour and I got to go piss. And it's hey, it's if that isn't love, I don't know what is. Roger, tell them where you, tell them where they can get your book. <laughs> Metamorphosis Prime Intellect. Metamorphosis Prime Intellect available on Amazon. Uh other you know, basically anywhere you can get books, but if you go to lulu.com and buy it, it's the same price, but I get a lot more of the money. So, yeah, because Amazon doesn't get their cut. Lulu is the people who actually publish it. So, and I didn't get to mention this yet. Okay. 
and we are back. Thank you for your patience, Roger. Hey. It, it really, honestly, man, I should just set like a, I should just get a countdown clock behind me, like a scoreboard, and just because I found it takes. I found if I, if a podcast goes to sixty minutes, I just start all of a sudden. I'm like, I gotta go so bad. Okay, but sorry. So we just did the eighty dollar relay. Alright, so this is a consumer grade electric motor. You can see it's made of sheet metal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got this little thing around it. Uh-huh. And uh, this is a an example of how a motor like that is used. This is the power unit from a battery operated electric drill okay. that I took apart. And you can see the kissing cousin resemblance from the motor that I just showed you. Kissing cousin. Which is also a piece of crap. What, what did you say? Yeah. A, a kissing cousin? Yeah. K- kissing cousin. Is no, that, oh, is like, that the name of it? No, they're... Oh, I thought you meant like, yeah, it's in- incestual. They're very, they're very similar. This is this is a su- a southern thing. Yeah, it's a it's a you know. Uh, it's kiss and cousin. You know, it's very similar. You know, they 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 uh, actual actually these do uh, like stick together. So yeah. that's yeah you because know, they got magnets. In them. Yeah, my brother's sister is my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to know what an industrial motor looks like. This oh, Jesus. is an industrial motor. Okay. And the funny thing about this is that this motor is not all that much powerful, more powerful than the ones that I just showed you. But this one is intended to run forever or as long as possible. Yeah. Here's it has ball bearings. Okay. Okay. These end caps on either side of the housing or cast. This is a motor that was meant to run as long as possible without being maintained. And like all industrial devices, it also has a tag on the side that tells you all of its properties. Okay. Okay. How what its voltage is, what its power is. Now, this is not a very powerful motor. This is only an eight watt motor, which makes it like a hundredth of a horsepower, which makes it about the same as this motor in the drill, except that one's meant to run continuously. Okay. The drill motor is, you know, not so much, but you also notice there's, there's not anything on this motor that tells you what it is or anything like that. It's just like, if you don't know what I am, fuck you. That's you know that's consumer grade crap. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know industrial crap tells you know, it's it's like everything is documented. Yeah. And it's so the other ones the other one like you said only eight watts, but it's it, but its selling point is it it just goes it yeah just goes and it also weighs about five pounds. But again, it's. It's a tank. This is it's a tank. Yeah, though, right? I mean, yeah. this is like I could kill somebody with this. This is this right. is this is a serious piece of metal. Hey man, this this yeah, these things not so much. If you're ang- um, if you're angry enough and you strike enough times, anything is a weapon. Well, with this, eh. 
what, not so, really. So what about something like the motors on like the Mars rovers? Just space like another, vehicles yeah. are a very special case, and I read some articles about that uh, because weight is so important for them. True. You would never find a motor like this on a space vehicle because it's so fucking heavy. Um, but something like the Mars I, Rover, you can't have it breaking down, right? Well, it's like that. That is one of the reasons space shit is so um, uh, so expensive because it can't fail. But on the other hand, it can't be too heavy. And so, uh, one of the you know, I, I think it was path you know in, in the Pathfinder thing. I read an article where they were interviewing one of the guys, and he said you could take any typical actuator mechanism from a spacecraft and crush it with your hand probably yeah it would it would be that like oh i yeah it was uh yeah it was pathfinder because they had this thing with the the pedals that would fold out and they said that was you know like one of the most intensely strong actuator mechanisms that they had ever built for a spacecraft because normally you uh, you only build it to be just as strong as it needs to be because weight is such an issue. But in that case, they didn't know how it was going to hit the planet. Yeah. They didn't know what orientation it's going to be in. And it's got to be able to unfold itself and, and, so, and yeah. all this. Yeah. So, yeah, that was a special case. Uh, but for the most part, space spacecraft mechanisms are actually extremely delicate Mm -hmm. they are just strong enough to do exactly what they are designed to do and no stronger than that because any more material this this actually brings us to another thing which is that matter is expensive stuff is expensive even dirt is expensive um, one of the things about this valve, okay, this thing weighs close to a pound. Okay. All right. And this is metal. And one of the things you'll notice about it is that it's meant to be taken apart. There's a knurled knob here that can be used to take the solenoid off the end. There are screws here and here, which can be used to disassemble it. Uh, this was machined out of a block of metal. Okay. And while this one isn't, I've seen these that were machined out of blocks of stainless steel, okay. which makes them seriously, stupidly expensive. Yeah. This material is ultra high density polyurethane plastic, okay. um, which I will get to in a minute. Um, Everything about this valve is expensive. This is this is not a very big valve. It doesn't have much capacity. Can't pass much air. But somebody spent a lot of money to make sure that it could make this thing do its thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only reason I own it is because it was surplus. Somebody took a lot of them out of service all at the same time so that they were able to offer them to 
electronic gold mine or someplace like that. Mm-hmm. And I snagged it for a project that I thought I was going to do that I ended up not doing. So there we are. But it's still a cool artifact. I mean, it's like this is a cool technological artifact. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do know exactly what this is for and why it exists and and all that. And one day, yeah, I might need to push something. I, I do have an air compressor. Yeah. It doesn't run all the time, but eh, whatever. Um, so anyway, that's – oh, I did have one more. Fuck yeah. What is that? This is a bank of 16 IO units. Uh, it's called Opto 22 Breakout Board. And each of these modules is either an input or an output. And they're meant to interface with a microprocessor or something like that that would plug into this connector here. And uh, the reason for the name Opto is that they're optically isolated. Now, this board is about 50 years old. Really? Yes. And you can get an exact replacement for it today. These modules... uh, The black ones are outputs. When the microprocessor energizes them, they act like switches and turn on current. In these cases, because they're black, that means they're 110 volt ones. Red ones would be DC. These are 110 volt inputs. White ones would be DC. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, uh, and also uh, this board would allow you to mix and match them. The reason that there's eight of these and eight of these has to do with the thing that was plugged in here that uh, had that pattern. This board itself doesn't have any active components. Okay. It's just a carrier. It's extremely high quality. Uh, The board, this board, you can still buy one of these today an exact replacement for this it's about $120 these modules are about $20 a piece Okay. and I have this one because I intercepted it on the way to the dumpster (laughs) (laughs) we we replaced it with something that was at the time more modern Uh, but I because I was thinking of doing a home control project sure that I never actually did. It would have been fucking cool if I had, though. This is like industrial-grade crap. Um, and and what, what is it about that that makes it so that 50 years later you can still buy an exact replacement? Like, I, you know, like obviously something like a phone, you know, you wouldn't buy a five-year replacement, but that is, you're saying, 50 years. What is it about it that is that just, that's it? That's the... The it's, spot. Well, it's it's all intended to be replaceable. This this is the thing about industrial shit is that 
it is intended to be serviceable and replaceable. Mm -hmm. So you might notice each of these modules has a little Pop screw on. here. Yep. Okay, they're replaceable. The board itself is also replaceable. The green. It's, what? What is it's, that? The green shit? Because that's on all like from my simpleton caveman mind. All electronics are on that green thing. What is the green? The, gr thing? the green thing is fiberglass. Okay. It's a circuit board. Okay. It's an extremely high quality circuit board. Okay. Same thing as in your DVD player or your sure. computer, sure. except that it's only two layer and it's very, very thick and durable. Okay. Uh, it's actually made of fiberglass. Okay. Um, the, the opto modules are meant to be replaceable. The board itself is meant to be replaceable. And one of the reasons I have this one is that there is a new generation that has different modules okay. that is more popular now. Okay. But you can take that new generation. This connector is compatible with the new one. So you can take the new one. That requires you disconnecting all these wires here. Sure. Okay. And putting them on the new board. But... It does the same thing. So um, this is basically the industry's answer to how to con how to connect a a computer running five volt signals to motors and solenoids and shit like that. Okay. Um, they uh, they're also optically isolated. None of these have an electrical connection. If you trace this, the, the, these connections to the outside world do not have any electrical connection to these microprocessor signals. Okay. Uh, they're all optically isolated. So the uh, you can get hit by lightning. And, that's, and it'll um, be fine. And it'll stop here. Fuck. Uh, and and yeah, so and and, the, and this is like, like this is like four hundred dollars with the modules yeah. and the board, the carrier board, and everything. Um, and this is nothing for a plant. This is this is the normal way yeah. that things like this are done in a plant environment where you have stuff that has to be serviced quickly where uh, downtime might be exactly. So um, the problem with things like this, which I showed you earlier, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is this is mounted on a circuit board. The whole thing's fucked. The whole thing's fucked. Exactly. Okay. So when, when this fails... You're 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 screwed. So, Whereas, so that piece is the MacBook, and the other pieces are PC that you can remove and replace. Versus your MacBook, the whole thing's fucked. That's a way of looking at it. Um, but yeah, but yeah, it's like. Uh, but really. So this is this is about industrial versus consumer. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it's a good thing to also remember that automotive is consumer. 
Okay. Anything, um, this assembly that I have, um, I'm not quite sure where this came from. I got this surplus. It's like, uh, if I energize it one way, it spins around to a stop. If I energize another, it spins around in the other direction to a stop. This is very similar, though, to a lot of automotive assemblies Mm -hmm. that I've seen. Uh, You can see the telltale thing here. There's obviously a little electric motor Mm -hmm. in this part. Mm -hmm. Um, But this plastic assembly, they're doing a lot of shit like this in cars nowadays for things like the actuator that unlocks your hatchback. Mm -hmm. Uh, that unlocks your door locks and stuff. They're not using the solenoids so much because these are more controllable. But on the other hand, these are made of plastic. Yeah. So, so if we're if we're looking at we got consumer, we got industrial space, right? That's that's the kind of hyper high end. Is there like a is there a fourth? Would you well, would you say like military applications, where maybe you're not constricted by weight, but you still want this thing to be able to last forever? Yeah, military is its own thing, okay. and I don't have very many examples of that okay. because uh, I used to uh, to have a few things in electronics, but yeah, there there's a very hyper durable thing that the the military wants. Uh, if you look at any electronics, mm-hmm. then there's always a mil spec version sure. that has higher temperature ranges. Uh, they uh, Not limited, just, yeah. Not limited by yeah. you're not fighting the you don't have that 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 primary barrier of space, which is the gravity well delta v. So this thing can't weigh like a uranium oh, yeah. block. But right, exactly, exactly. The mil spec stuff tends not to be like yeah. super lightweight, like yeah. space stuff. But, space stuff is in a whole yeah, it's, it's category by itself. That's why it's called rocket uh, science, right? It's <laughs> but uh, but there there is mil spec stuff that is like super durable but is also heavy it's like this this assembly here uh weighs about four pounds yeah and that i'm using my super duper calibrated hands to do that because i I work for a scale company but this is a very heavy thing for 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 what what it looks like yeah um so you wouldn't put that on a spacecraft but because if you were on like a destroyer, right, a big old ship, you might not be cared about weight. You just want this thing that's going to last throughout. Right. War. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. And uh, you know, or or in a in a plant where you have massive energies flowing all around and mm-hmm. big things going on, and and what you're concerned about is not the cost or the weight of it, but whether it's going to work correctly when you need it to. So consumer, industrial, space, mil spec. Is there a fifth? Is there like below industrial or below consumer, like disposable? Well, there are a couple of different grades of consumer. Made in China. uh, Yeah. Um, Actually, uh, one of the things I learned talking to one of my suppliers, one one of the manufacturers that I represent – they you know we were talking about their supply issues and he mentioned that uh there is a special grade of capacitor that is 
made for cell phones that is cheaper and crappier than the normal capacitors that are made for normal consumer electronics. And it's because they expect your cell phone to be discarded within a couple of years. So there, there is actually a grade of electronic components that is crappier than what you would find in like your DVD player (laughs) that is meant for cell phones because cell phones are considered disposable. Yeah, you're tossing it, right? Yeah, the one you pick up at the airport because you lost yours, right? And it's got 100 minutes on it. Yeah, well, it's because, you know, it's like, yeah. I only got an i6. It's like, now the 11 is available. What the? Yeah, it's, <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I got this uh, one. I got this one last Christmas, and it's, a, you know, I already split the screen on it, right? And it's. Yeah, it's yeah. It's it's like you're gonna drop it. You're mm-hmm. gonna you're you're gonna want a better one anyway. So you know, and, and and so this guy was telling me, you know, this is an engineer saying, you know, we don't even have access to this oh. if we wanted to. Oh. But they were telling me that it existed. That there's a whole special grade of components that is super cheap and crappy quality for Plain. the cell. planned obsolescence actually i don't know why i mean i would actually i would say that like i probably have the range of like hard drives right i got you could say like i got i got my industrial size ones right my 16 terabyte that i can just flip shit on and off i got my my ssd in this laptop 256 gigs pretty decent and then i've got the tanks i've got the the, what there's one I don't even know what the I wish this company would sponsor me a data a d a t a that one I have is waterproof not not water resistant it's waterproof up to two minutes un, submerged underwater it's fireproof it's shockproof dustproof and it has a metal shell on it that can survive three thousand kilograms of downward pressure that would that that would be like my mill spec right In yeah the, that's 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 that that is actually mill spec type of thing yeah yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's uh, it has to be capable of withstanding, like being in a tank that got hit by an anti armor shell. Yeah, right. Space spec would be like a micro SD made of like gallium arsenide, so it survived radiation, but it also weighed like a quarter of an ounce. Right. Okay, I'm I'm using my using my mind to to get a grasp on it. All right. All right. So anyway, uh, to get back to industry. <laughs> Um, let's talk about food. Okay. Um, there's a tremendous contrast between chemical plants, Mm -hmm. which have very few employees, very well paid. The jobs out in the plant tend to be union. Uh, so these guys are making $25, $30 an hour. With overtime, double time, all the, all the perks, you know, vacation, all that shit. Um, but they may only have 30 or 40 of those guys in a billion-dollar plant. Then we go to food processing, which I, I know is a sensitive thing. Okay. So the thing about food processing, food plants – are very finely grained social um, dioramas. They're, they are, everybody has a place 
above and below someone else. Mm-hmm. And it could be a little weird when you first enter a food plant, figuring out where you fit in. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's all kinds of little signals of status. Uh, because food plant will have hundreds of employees. Yeah. And the reason is that in the chemical plant, you have control over your raw materials. Yeah. So you can automate everything. In a food plant, your raw materials are living things. Yeah. They vary. So there's a limit to how well you can automate things. And ultimately, you end up having to have a whole shitload of human beings with knives in their hands finishing the job. Even if you have automation starting it. Yeah. And there is hardly a job I can imagine more soul crushing than being a line operator in a food plant. Just, I mean, just, yeah, just because you're doing, it is repetitive stress injury. Hell, you're doing the same thing day in, day out. You're doing it in miserable conditions. It's probably a refrigerated room. You're decked out in all of this plastic PPE not to protect you, but to protect the food that you're working on from you. <laughs> and it's, uh, and it pays like eight bucks an hour. Yeah. So it, it's, uh, it's just a miserable, horrible way to live. And people come here from all over the world to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Fast Food Nation by Eric Schlosser for everyone listening. There's a great audiobook yeah. on it. He he goes through the entire poultry and beef industry. It's insane, yeah. Yeah. So uh so so you're ahead of me there because you've read that book. Um and my observation is that okay, in the chemical industry, you wear PPE, what they call personal protective mm-hmm. equipment, to protect you mm-hmm. against the environment. Mm-hmm. So you have eyewear. In fact, every industrial yeah. environment now requires eyewear. Hat, hard hat, because you're ducking into all these spaces with crap. There's all these levels above you. That someone might drop something on you. Steel toe shoes, similar thing. Okay. In the food industry, it's not about protecting you so much. As about protecting the food that you are working with. Yeah. So you're wearing all this plastic shit, the gloves, the footies, the whole smock and everything. And part that is part of the culture. Mm-hmm. The your 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 position in the culture. Wearing PPE means you are low you're low cased you're low status yeah okay technicians which is where i operate when i would go into one of these places i would be about the same as a service technician the guy who fixes shit uh they they still have to wear hair nets because hair in the food is bad uh they still have to wear eyewear 
they still have to wear steel toes, but the rest of it is more optional because it's more important for them to be able to work with their hands, mm -hmm. pick stuff. Um, and the, get my thoughts in a row here social hierarchy yeah um the the technicians they you know they have the latitude to move around the plant yeah and the ability to move around the plant is a big source of status in the social hierarchy because the line operators are not permitted to move around they have to stand at a station all day long, except for certain break periods, doing whatever they're doing with the with the, the birds or the catfish or whatever. Even taking a bathroom break mm. is is an issue, and the maintenance guys, while well, they come and go at will, so they. They have actually a little office, you know, shared office area where they can have a picture of the wife and all that shit. Sure. Um, probably shared with a few other guys, unless they're the maintenance manager, in which case they might have a little private office where they can, you know, they have a computer terminal where they can, you know, do the purchase orders and buy shit, yeah. you know, or whatever. Uh, then there's, you know, things like, are you permitted to come in the front of the plant? Or do you have to go in the back of the plant? Okay. Um, office, all office jobs are higher status yeah. than any plant jobs. The sole exception to that is that you will find the plant manager who runs everything, dressing out in the gear, going out on the plant floor to see what's going on because it's his fucking plant. He's the but, he's the plantation owner, right? Yes, he's and the, and yeah. and he will he will dock he he will don the the protective gear because he has to to go out and see what the fuck is going on in his place, and that doesn't ding his status. Well, but yeah. for the most part, wearing PPE dings your status. That is a unless you're top dog, right? That's. That's like the general yeah. walking to the front lines, and he's covered in mud. But it's the fucking general, right? It's he can pretty talk, much. He can yeah. talk shit. He's walking up and down the trenches, but it doesn't matter because he's a boss. But all of us, with all of all the doughboys in our muskets, know we're shit. But this guy's going out there. What are you doing? What are my minions doing? I just imagine he's some eighteen hundred. Why is this line not running? What is wrong? Yeah, feel my yo. wrath. <laughs> And you know, and and so it's but, yeah. like, and if you're one of the technicians, then then he's like, "You, why is this thing not working?" And I've I've been there more than once myself, um, and uh, it, but it's it's an extremely fine grained social hierarchy That's that, uh, and that has been true of every food plant I have ever been in regardless of whatever food they are processing because the requirement of a food plant is that there's a lot of labor yeah because food the source product is variable mm -hmm. so machines don't completely deal with it mm -hmm. 
no matter what you do. And that translates to everything else. Um, so I know you got people who are probably going to have a comment about that. I'm very interested to hear what they say about what I'm saying about this, because I'm, yeah. it's like I have never been in a food pro, in, in a food plant. Sure, it was not an extremely fine grained social hierarchy, where if you were hired as a line operator and you walked in the front door of the office, everyone would look at you like you were from Mars and like you did something very, very wrong. Well, like, what, what got you're me, not supposed to be here. Yeah. What got me thinking was, is I worked at, he's been on this podcast before once, my friend Joe Udell, who I've known since sixth grade. His dad had a door frame manufacturing warehouse in Atlanta. An odd thing. But we used to work there when I was like 15, 16. But yeah, you had, we were shipping and receiving and we were... Yeah, we were the shittiest of the right. We had to have we have those like mm. cut proof gloves, jeans, mask, goggles. Step above was the technical guys that could use power tools. We weren't even allowed to do that. Step above them was like the drivers, and then a little section of the of the entire warehouse was an air conditioned blocked off area. That was the office. Everyone had a chair. You had you know you had nice overhead lights, a tie, and yeah, there were tiers of that. Yeah, and it very much, yeah, if you walk into the office and you, hey, Mr. Udell, how you doing? And he's in a suit, but you're walking in, you're covered in sawdust and sweat. It was almost like, <laughs> what is this? What is this undesirable doing in my office, right? <laughs> Gods, and, take yeah. them away. But really, social structure, right? It was, we were, yeah. we were, we were replaceable. It was like, you know, fuck you. Yeah, and, and the whole food industry is like that. And the, uh, the, uh, I should clarify that wasn't a that wasn't a dig at Mr. Udell. I was 16 and I probably shouldn't even been working there. <laughs> that that I'm incredibly grateful for that job. But I mean, but the observation still stands is the well, gratification. It, it, exactly. And the thing is that most people who work in food plants are actually grateful for that. Sure. Uh, Tyson goes <clears throat> trialing in the Marshall Islands, for example. You know, I was in a Tyson plant in Arkansas where. They had a fucking translator Jesus. Who, for Marshallese Jesus. for the for the specific language of the Marshall Islands because they had hired so many people, brought in so many people from this one area. And so but of course then these peer, these people are almost slaves. Yeah. Because where else can they go? Well and, and, and Eric Schlosser talks about them. The illiterate they can't read, they can't write, they can't speak the language. They are, I mean, they are the lowest, they are the undesirables. Mm -hmm. They're not the lowest, though. The lowest is truck drivers. Okay. Every plant that I've ever been in, uh, even food plants that had line operators from the third world, uh, truck drivers were beneath them. Really? Yeah, it's it's almost weird. Uh, I would think that having like a license would be like a step up. I'm just looking at it purely from like a stratification. I don't know. Maybe them though. It's like they don't even get the respect of like a sleep schedule. It's just like fuck you, pick it up and leave. It it's it's just I can't even completely explain it myself. Okay. But uh, what I can say is that these guys are. Uh, 
you know, the you know, whatever else there is in the plant, if you drive a truck up, you are whale shit to them. Okay. They, you are, you, you know, um, probably because even the line operators have learned to follow the rules. They, 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 are, they understand. Well, for one thing, if you don't follow the rules, you're going to get fired in about two seconds flat. So they, they, they conform, but the truck drivers, they don't know what to expect from these guys. So they're okay. just like, we gotta, we gotta deal with this. Shit. So there's a truck driver place and the truck drivers are not allowed anywhere except the driver lounge. That this, you know, uh, if you're a line operator, which is about like the lowest position, you know, it's like you've got to stand at this place eight hours a day, except for breaks, cutting fillets and shit. Mm-hmm. That is like you would think that's like the lowest thing. But truck drivers are lower than you. Okay, that is one thing you can look in the mirror and tell yourself when you're dressing out to go home is at least I'm not a truck at driver. At least I'm not a truck, right? Yeah, because you're right. They're, they're not even because they're not even regulars, right? So they don't even get the respect of being part of yeah. the cast. Some, well, some of some of them are, but most of them aren't. Yeah. So, but but it's like, yeah, for whatever reason, that is like the the bottom step on the totem pole is is being a truck driver uh i can't always explain it because i've actually met some truck drivers who are fairly literate and and intelligent and all but the the rule is that's not what they expect sure but on 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 a small side note uh it's apparently it's becoming a thing over the last 10 years these truck drivers are just getting audible subscriptions and so you're getting these guys now that are just getting like degree after degree and like because they just li- <laughs> so it's awesome you got these guys driving and they come out and they're just like they are like they're getting like their doctorate in like in like uh prussian military history <laughs> yeah, it's just it's the universe has a sense of humor it's just like fuck it this guy can learn everything it's kind of weird how oh, it yeah, flips, right? Nothing but time and. Well, think about the invention. Think about the Otis elevator, right? Originally in skyscrapers, first in Chicago and then in Manhattan, the richest people, bottom floors, because you don't want to walk upstairs. That's that's below you. I mean, figuratively. And then with elevators, yeah. all of a sudden it was like, okay, now you want that because now you want the view. You don't have to walk. But originally, mm-hmm. first floor that was penthouse, because you don't yeah. you could walk right in and out. Come the elevator, the entire thing flips. You could almost say it's like truck drivers, right? It's like, yeah, now it's audible. And it's like, now he, these are like the bohemian scholars. They drive all day and they're, oh, yes, I agree with Neil deGrasse Tyson's <laughs> assertion about black holes colliding. Little, little <laughs> side note. But yeah, it kind of flips, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, and, 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 and you got to remember, too, uh, most of what I'm giving you here is from 15 20 years sure, ago sure so there is a you know because my job has also flipped to where i'm almost doing everything office wise now yeah. i'm not doing nearly as much field work as i used to yeah um but uh in some ways though things don't change that's yeah. uh yeah yeah there's there's too much inertia uh-huh. and the the basic thing of poor people being ground down mm-hmm. 
by people who have power over them isn't really changing. Mm -hmm. So you've got in a lot of these places, these, uh, you know, these immigrants who have been literally brought here to almost be, uh, servants. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, and if they decide they're not cool with it, what the fuck are they going to do? They can't just like get on a plane and go home. They don't have the resources to do that. They're stuck. And um, this is a, a, a thing, a, a certain chicken company whose name starts with T is really bad about Tyson. You uh, can say it. Tyson chicken. A fucking, yeah, they're, they are the, they are the evil empire. Yeah. Um, and one of the striking things about them is the degree to which they deploy propaganda toward their own employees. Um, one of the one of the things you know you, you you see these things every once in a while in your career that just stick with you, and one of them was a poster that I saw in a tea plant. Uh, that showed a sad-looking dog sitting next to a food bowl full of greasy gears and, you know, machine parts. And the big caption was, not even good enough for a dog. Now, this isn't a plant that kills a quarter million birds a day. Okay? Now, when you're dealing with a product stream that large, uh, you have a lot of stuff that ends up well hitting the floor for example product hits the floor it's no longer suitable for human consumption period end of story can't you know hit the floor but it's still okay for the pet food industry mm-hmm. for the animal feed industry so the purpose of that poster was to remind people not to contaminate the contaminated food stream with stuff that really wasn't edible because the contaminated food stream was itself a source of profit going to the pet and animal feed industries. Jesus. And and I know in Fast Food Nation, they talk about feeding like pieces of cows that would hit the ground. They'd put it in the trough for the cows. So they would just have mm-hmm. the cows eating and then so it led to all sorts of fucking diseases and shit. Yeah. Well, that's that's a way to. Well, you don't see that so much in like chicken. You know, I I haven't done very much work at all in red meat plants. Mm-hmm. Where you're talking about like cows and pigs. Sure. Uh, almost all of the stuff I've done in food processing has been catfish and chicken, and catfish is almost dead now. That's that's gone because of competition from overseas. So uh, a great deal of that manufacturing isn't there anymore. So there, there, there's a lot of you know stuff that I built, stuff that I put online, all not there anymore. Um, but uh, the chicken plants pretty much are still there as they as they were before that uh, the. Uh, the sea change, the uh, that a, a lot of that was like the influx of the, uh, the Vietnamese imports. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, chicken is all is what it always has been. 
as as far as uh, you've uh, got the the whole way that it's the the grow houses are run the processing plants are running and and where i've always been into it was the processing plants mm-hmm. um and mostly there where i was was chronically you know uh printing labels stuff like that um but you can't ignore how the whole operation runs yeah you know there's uh well, to give a, a slightly different allegory, um, the second day that I worked for the company I work for now, 35 years ago, uh, I took a service call. The guy who was training me at a plant that made the patties for a certain fast food restaurant. And this is actually one of the cleanest food plants that I have ever visited, although I didn't understand that at the time. Um, They took in sides of beef, put them in enormous grinding machines, and turned them into hamburger patties on an industrial scale. Yeah. And it was about a month after that site visit before I was able to make myself eat another hamburger. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) That bad? Because the smell of blood pervaded the air it was it was like uh even though it was an incredibly clean plant sure. it didn't have a kill floor there was no guts and intestines and shit on the floor which i have seen incidentally yeah. you know in other places it was it was very clean and well run but just that pervasive smell of death was something I had never experienced before. And now I, I it's like, I'm going to have an ice cream Sunday afterwards. Like I'm fine with it. But, uh, but at the time I had never experienced anything like that. I hadn't even known that it was a thing that was possible. Yeah. And to just like be thrust into it. And it's like, this is, whole building full of just meat meat being ripped apart just yeah and it's uh it was it's actually impossible to describe uh, so yeah like i said the uh, the the best description is it was a month after that before i was able to make myself eat another hamburger because of having experienced that and not having been used to it. Now, on the flip side of that, I will say humans seem to be able to get used to anything. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, you know, so you've got uh, I mean, people exposed to things like that, people, people who are in death camps. Well, I was about to say, think of the Sonder Commandos, S-O-N-D-E-R. 
They would those yes. were, those were the Jews that the Nazis would basically go easy on because they'd have them do the dirty work, including going up to the bodies of all the recently deceased via Zyklon B gas uh, inmates in the showers, go up with hammers and hit the gold out of their mouths, blood and all, just hit them out because you got to remember they just died from gas so i mean their bodies are still warm and you know wet and alive if you will go not alive yeah. but you know what i mean go up right. and hit their yeah. mouths with hammers and there's a that, that well and that was that that's the thing and and the uh you know what i experienced in those first days uh with my employer was extremely mild yeah by comparison and it was hard for me to wrap my head around it at first but on the other hand now that I've been doing it for all these decades, uh, yeah, okay, stepping over little bloody gibbets of intestines and shit sure. in a clap, catfish plant is just like, okay, yeah, whatever. You know, well, well, yeah, like this, but the, what I was going to say is there's a there's an anecdote of one of these Sonder commandos who they would, they, the Nazis would always kill him after a couple months because they didn't want him like getting uppity, but some of them survived, obviously, when the camp started getting liberated. And so there's a story of one of them saying he'd been doing this was his job. He'd go in with a mallet and just go beat the shit out of these dead bodies' mouths and rip the bloody teeth out that had gold. And one day he was doing it, and he didn't even realize till he was, like, pulling the gums and roots out of this mouth that it was his wife. And he was like, I didn't. Oh, I think I saw that story. He was yeah. like, and I didn't even realize it. And he was like, and I'll be honest, it didn't really register. He was just like, ah. Oh. I recognize that face. On to the next bot. I mean, it seems like you can just adapt to. Maybe it's the brain protecting itself. Well, it's that you have to adapt to the environment you're yeah. in. Yeah, yeah, you have. And to, yeah. we're very good at that. Yeah. Um. So it's uh, you know, and, and I think that that's part of the thing. It's like you know, being in an extremely dangerous environment, like a chemical plant, sure. where. You know, and, and I've told people for years this. I I am very glad that I don't actually work in one of these places because that would suck. Yeah. Uh, now I have a couple of friends who do work in these places, and the thing is, to say you know, as someone who works there occasionally, the chance that if the place blows up. I'm going to be there when it happens is not not that big. But if I work there every fucking day, then my chances of being there when it blows up are actually pretty goddamn good. And that's near certainty. Yeah, near certainty. So, yeah, it just depends on what shift it happens on. <laughs> actually, when the uh, when the oil refinery blew up in Norco, um, we had a crew that was scheduled to check the truck scale that morning. It, the The refinery blew up at four in the morning, and we had been scheduled to be there at seven a.m. Fuck that! So, Fuck. Uh, so even that, you know, it's like you're still not completely safe. But on the other hand, if you were one of the shift workers who was there every day, then your chance of being there when it blows up is like 20 or 30%. Because, you know, somebody has to be there. And, uh, 
And the thing about that, uh, the, uh, it's an, it was an interesting thing because it's a catalytic cracking unit. It's pressure vessels, like 16 feet diameter, 30 feet high. It's got all these pipes feeding it. Uh, and one of the, you know, and, and of course they made a point of uh, periodically checking it out with video cameras. But there was one uh, sharp turn in a pipe that they couldn't get to with the videos, you know, with the video surveillance. And they just assumed that because everything else was okay, that, well, that pipe must be okay too, most likely. But it turned out that there was a vortex yeah. that formed yeah. in that turn and it was corroding faster yeah. than the rest of the structure. That was the point where the explosion began. Yeah. And you know, uh, there 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 is a tension in all of industry between technicians and engineers. Mm-hmm. You'll hear technicians say engineers are stupid and engineers saying technicians are morons. And the and I have been trained from both ends. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So the problem is that engineers are trained to think of how things work. Uh, They're they're trained to say we start here. We get to this next step. We get this next step. We get this next step. Then we get a product. They, they, that's how they're trained. They're, they're trained to think of how things work. They're not trained to think of how things fail. Mm-hmm. Now the technicians are trained to think of how things fail because they've got to put it back together after the thing fails. Mm-hmm. So it's the technician that says, this dumbass engineer put a bolt here where I can't get a fucking spanner on it to get it loose now that it's failed to take this assembly apart and fix it. The engineer says if the bolt wasn't there in that place, then the thing would fall apart. That's where it needed to be to absorb the stress. So you've got, and I understand both of these things, but you're in a room with both engineers and technicians. All I can say is fucking duck. Yeah. <laughs> that was, uh, I was going to say, that's what, you know, skunk works of Lockheed Martin, you know, the real, yeah, obviously, I know you know. But that's what Kelly Johnson, the first head of it, used to talk about. He said that's what made them so efficient is that there was no separate areas. You didn't have the designers and then the metallurgists and then the guys putting it together. They all – no one was allowed to be more than like – I think it was something like 15 feet from like the next person in line. So if you drew up this schematic for this wing and then the next guy had to make it out of aluminum, it didn't just go to him. And, and he, he went, would I don't, say, no, this isn't going to work. Well, that's what he yes. had him there. He said he would have it so that you could turn around and be like – instead of like, hey, this needs to go back to the, the drawing division, you turn around and be like, hey, dipshit, what is this? And he would come over and be like, I don't think – and he said, but that's the reason why they could just – get shit out because everyone was oh, right that's, there that was that's brilliant yeah. i did not i i didn't know that yeah. actually that's, kelly johnson was a fucking genius man but it's brilliant and it makes perfect sense yeah. that's uh i mean having worked in industry for decades 
I, I, I can say that that is exactly the problem. Yeah. That uh, you you've you've got people that write a specification, they get signed off by management. I had beautiful beautiful example here. Okay, so I so I designed a system around 1990 to weigh trucks in and out of the largest sugar refinery in the United States. And it was enormously complicated. We had meetings after meetings after meetings with the the top guys, the everybody. And we nailed down this thing. This thing was collecting like 150 items of information about for every truck. And which was unheard of at the time. This yeah. this was way ahead of its time. Of course, I did it. Um, but we went to put it in. We installed the computer. We put everything in. We established communications. We since everything's going. And the very first truck, okay, the driver comes in gives the operator's driver's license. The operator looks at it, goes, well, how do I enter this guy's driver's license number in? And I'm like, you, you know, you have a 10, 10 digit field there. That's why it's like, yeah, this guy's from New York, New York. They have 14 digit driver's license numbers. They had talked to everybody except the actual operators who operated the system. And that was like the very first thing. It was the very first truck. This guy was from New York. He had a 14-digit driver's license number. We had a 10-digit field to enter it into. And I ended up spending the next three days on site rewriting everything. After we talked to the operators to deal with all of the things that the supervisors didn't even fucking know about what their own system had to do. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But it seems like that's the case, right? Because I think that's something Kelly Johnson talked about. He said when they, Lockheed Martin and uh, Roger, let's wrap wrap this one up in in five minutes because I got an early one tomorrow. Um, Okay. But that's one thing he talked about was – they had something like 11,000 engineers design when Lockheed tried to get into like the commercial airline business. They had something like 11,000 engineers, and I shit you not. For the U-2 spy plane, they had something like 70. And it's because one was skunk works and one wasn't. And they just they just cut out all the middle shit because they were like, everyone has to be right here. So when they'd start designing something, you'd have the metallurgist going, before you even finish drawing it, like, we're not doing that. It can't be done. And so they'd be like, all right, fuck. So they just cut out all this bullshit middle ground yeah that's you know kind of what you have to do to make it work yeah i mean i guess that's how you get an sr-71 blackbird is when you have that those guys right Mm. yeah oh by the way by the way when when are you going to get like uh lighting again oh i have it oh no i oh no no it's 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 that i i got it i just in the afternoon, 
When yeah, it, but I mean, that doesn't give you a headache and shit like that. Oh, I mean, I can just, I can just turn on the. I don't know. Sometimes I just when I do a late episode with you, sometimes I just flip the lights because I just like. Just relax. It's 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 night. It's after hours. Call in with your music requests. Smoke a cigar. Uh, drink some whiskey. TPC after the sun goes down. <laughs> I, I last time I had a headache. This time I was just like I don't know. Fucking the vibe. <laughs> there's, there's no there's absolutely no reason for oh. it i can turn on bright lights i mean it's like i got no room to talk it's your podcast it's your joint Fuck so you, roger it's your podcast why don't you gonna start a podcast i was thinking this morning about it. i was like i'm gonna upload all the episodes i did with roger onto an account and just give you the login and be like give you the keys to your own kingdom eh. not that i don't fucking love having you on i just think you could absolutely rock your own podcast but comes down to whether or not you want to and i'm not going to force that on you i don't know why. i still got it yeah it, it it comes down to the whole thing again i have a real job yeah. i have a, a yeah. normal job yeah and that's enough at yeah. the time yeah but i do appreciate the offer of course my man maybe one day one day. one day roger you would be happy remember how last time we talked about the video game hitman mm-hmm and I told you how I'm like a purist with video games. I listen to audiobooks. I turn off tutorials and hints and I, objectives. I turn off the mini map. I turn off everything. Yep. Subtitles. I have found it's this like recurring theme across many games Just Cause, Grand Theft Auto, Ace Combat, Sniper Elite, Hitman. I've found there's this basic, it's very simple, and you probably could have guessed it. I found that you don't need to know anything about the story. I don't even play the levels in chronological order. I found it does not matter what it is. Is I can get a passing score if I kill everyone. Civilians included. It does not matter. I have found that you're supposed to do this and you're supposed to wear, you know, no one's supposed to know you're there and then you poison his drink or something. You know, if worse comes to worse, then you draw your gun. Just kill everyone. I have found you get a silenced pistol, <laughs> you get a silenced pistol and you just, the first thing you do is you find a guy with a bigger gun and you kill him and you take his bigger gun and then you go find a guy with a bigger gun until you become top dog and then you just sweep through the map over the course of an hour just icing everybody, everyone, <laughs> old women, butlers, Pilots, truck drivers, caterers, doesn't matter. Security guards, snipers, politicians, you murder. Every, I mean, I'll play this game, dude. My Xbox is overheating because it'll be simul. It'll be simulating. I'm not kidding, man. It has a little. I put a temperature gauge on the back of my Xbox. Most games will not go over 120 Fahrenheit. Of course you did. Yeah, but I did it with this. That's how I gauge how hard it's working. This one goes up to like 137 because it's just simulating all these bodies. I mean, I'll go through. I'll kill 300 people in one level. It's just everyone. And then I'll finish it and it'll be like, you passed. And I'll start the next level. I won't know anything about it. I'm in a mansion in France. And I'm like, I got an idea of what I need to do. <laughs> Ice everybody. Blow up every car. Shoot every gas tank. I'll get to the end and it'll be like, you passed. <laughs> Doesn't matter. You do realize the people who designed the game probably intended that as a way to do it. Safeguard just for the morons like me. There's gonna be like there's someone that's just gonna want to shoot everyone. That's just, a yeah, I've been that's I just thought you'd be inter- <laughs> as as a as a guy interested in patterns and things, it's 
I mean, no, I, that is very. Uh, it's like no, I, I yeah, that that is hilarious. Actually, murder murder everyone. It's kill I, everyone. Yeah, I it's have, like yeah, yeah. yeah I've, no, yeah. No strategy. Nope. The strategy is kill everyone. <laughs> I, have, I have yet. To, I've been playing this game for two weeks. I have yet to turn on the volume. I don't even know what his voice sounds like. I don't even know what the sound design is. I have no idea who I am or what I'm, I. I still don't know anything about the game. I don't know any. I just choose random levels. I don't know anything about this. I started Hitman Two, and then halfway through, I went to Hitman One. Did a couple levels. There's. I'm just raping the the storyline of this thing. Doesn't matter. Murder everyone. Right now, I'm at a. I'm at a spa in like the mountains in Japan. No, I, don't, I think I'm, it has something to do with a virus. That's what I've gathered so far, just from watching. But it doesn't matter because I'm just killing everybody—butlers, <laughs> massage artists, researchers, and everybody. No, and it's not even that; it's those in my way. Everyone, I will hunt down the the stragglers, and eventually I'll know because it will be like. You finished exfiltrate, ding, 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 <laughs> like, and I won't know. I'll just be <laughs> popping, popping, and finally I'll just you know I'll hit someone between the eyes, and it will be like congratulations, Agent Forty Seven. I'll be like, there we go, and it's just, it's just, it's the nuclear whack a mole. It's just take it all out. Wow, you yeah. almost made me want to get an Xbox or whatever. Dude, this is. dude, I, I would if I were you. This game, just even for what I do. Where I don't even enjoy the game, I just, I mean, just surely from a. From I know a, I don't want to you know, like to like the game nope, dynamics nope, nope, and all that nope, shit. But what you're talking about is like that sounds like fun. It's fun as fuck, dude. What I'm saying is the graphics are. I said probably the best of any game I've played. If the physics are great, and just go through and just you just icing everybody. <laughs> just, I love it, man. It to me it is, and um, and what am I doing while I'm listening to it? I'm listening to a history of a uh, JF or not JFK, Lee Harvey Oswald. Which maybe there's some weird similarities between his psychopathy and mine, but um, duh, yeah, okay, but, yeah, um, but yeah, and uh, tomorrow, not today. Today is the 57th anniversary of JFK's assassination. But tomorrow, I'm having on two authors, two separate podcasts about uh, JFK. So you're 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 a busy dude, man. I'm a busy dude, and then I'm almost finished with my. My death spiral of fifteen authors in fifteen days. <laughs> Never again. I'll be finished on Tuesday. Never again, Roger. Never again. <laughs> but let's wrap this one up. I will shoot you an email. Let's do one. Let's do one next week, as always. I fucking love it. And um, obviously, you get you get a blank check with the topics. I have yet to oh. not enjoy a podcast with you. Yeah, uh, I'll think of something to talk about. Fuck yeah. Well, um, until then, man, happy Thanksgiving. Roger Williams' book, Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect. If you like sci-fi, get it. If you don't like sci-fi, get it, and you'll like sci-fi. The, the guy I had on, Roger d- hasn't agreed to anything, but I'll put words in his mouth. Roger's going to have it narrated. It will be on Audible soon. My words, not Roger's, but I don't care. It needs to go up. And um, Working on it. Fuck yeah, man. And, um, all right, my dude, stay safe. God bless. Happy Thanksgiving, Roger. And, um, hopefully 2020 doesn't dish us an asteroid in the next week and we can hang out again. Really? (laughs) All right, my man. See ya. Take it easy, buddy.